I had asked Brother Bob to sing a song, but uh, I feel like I need to go ahead and get up here and maybe later he'll sing it, maybe he won't. Thank you for following the Lord. Jesus is the answer to all of the questions you're afraid to ask. All of them. Every problem we have, every worry, every uncertainty, every concern, every frustration, Jesus is the answer to it all. Paul said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold His beauty, to inquire in His temple. Almost everything that worries me about almost everything would be repaired if people would sit back and behold the beauty of the Lord. how I know the Lord was in that song request and in, in the singing of it, not just because it was beautiful. By the way, I don't know why y'all have never sung that together before. Beautiful. Beautiful. But you know what? It drew my heart to Jesus. And that's the point of the gospel. What God has given me tonight, and Sister Shoulders doesn't know this, we haven't talked it's the Spirit of God and His perpetual covenant with man. That sounds like a very thorough theological title, and I probably won't preach that systematically or thoroughly, but that's what's on my heart. God has made a perpetual covenant with His people, and that perpetual covenant is confirmed by the presence of God. All the way back to Adam. And He walked with them in the cool of the evening. Abel understood this perpetual, everlasting covenant that God made with his parents. And he brought to the Lord an acceptable sacrifice. Cain didn't understand it. And what did the Lord tell him when he brought his sacrifice of works? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do evil or not well, then sin lies at your door. I want everybody here and everyone who may hear this later to know that God has made a way for your life to be okay. Not just so you can go to a land of golden streets and milk and honey and pearly gates someday later, but so you can have peace in your life now. This world is broken, people around us are broken, and we're broken too except for the healing power of the presence of God. That covenant that was made with Adam, confirmed with Abel, confirmed with Seth and Enoch, and on down until God solidified it specifically with Abraham. And He said, you'll be a father to many nations. A people who will be like the sands of the seashore and the stars in the heaven for number. It's a spiritual people. The covenant of God's presence was confirmed again with Isaac, with Jacob, with Joseph. 
all the way down, generation after generation, person after person, and the Lord always put in the hearts of His people to have a far-looking sight when they served Him. What kind of world are we going to leave for our grandchildren? That's how He wanted His people to think. When they crossed over the river, they left the twelve stones in the water, and the Lord said to them, there will come a time when your descendants say, what do these mean to you? Not just abstractly, what do these mean, but what do these mean to you? That was a tradition. It was a remembrance. It was something set that the coming generations would always see. We have traditions, remembrances, things that we do. And I wonder if some of the young people coming up said, what does this mean to you, if we could really tell them. Have you had anybody ask you lately, why are you a missionary Baptist? I've had that happen three times this week. Have you tried to tell that to someone who has no clue what a missionary Baptist is? What would you say? What do these traditions mean to you? What do these stones mean to you? What is most important about this way that has been passed down? My answer, you can think about it, I hope you'll answer it for yourself, but it's the Spirit of God and His everlasting covenant. I'm not suggesting that we are the only people in the whole world who have the Spirit of God. I don't believe that. He's not that small. And besides, the Spirit of God was around before there were any missionary Baptists. I'm going to take a scripture reading from Exodus 33. Exodus chapter 33. We'll give some more background, but I want to read this first. Exodus chapter 33. I'll start in verse 9. It came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped, every man in his tent door. And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face, as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle... Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. Now hast also found grace in my sight. God had confirmed his covenant with Moses. Over and over. He confirmed it with him at the burning bush. And I wanted to remind us of that before I go any further, because... That's how God relates to us. It is the posture we should have to Him. Moses walks by, sees this bush on fire that's not consumed, walks over to it out of curiosity, and the Lord, or a voice out of the bush says, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. The covenant that we have with God, this perpetual covenant of His presence and His fellowship and His grace, doesn't allow us to do whatever we want, whenever we want, and behave however we want in His presence. When His presence is really present... We're humbled. And if we're not, He reminds us we should be. Take your shoes off, Moses. Then He begins to speak to him. And Moses said, 
What am I going to tell these people that you're sending me to? They're never going to believe me. And the Lord says, tell them I am, has sent you unto them. I am that I am. The pre-existing, all-existing one. Everlasting. Jesus confirmed that with His apostles, and by extension with all of us, with almost the very same words. If you look at the Greek construction when Jesus said, I am... It says, ego a me. The verb is a me. He didn't need any more. He added the uh, personal pronoun ego, which is I. It's where we get our English word ego. And Jesus, at the same time, was emphasizing His divinity. He was also reminding the people of God's perpetual covenant of fellowship and mercy. Amen. Brother Chandler preached a beautiful message the other night on the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus confirmed both of those. He was telling the people, and they would have understood it, because they understood what He was saying. We have to go dig in a lexicon or dictionary to figure out Greek or Hebrew, most of us. They would have known that He was making a reference back to what God told Moses. I am... So Moses has had this confirmed over and over. And yet still, they've made it out of Egypt. They've made it across the Red Sea. The Egyptian army's been swallowed up. God has preserved them in the wilderness. And now Moses still wants the Lord to confirm His covenant. You know why? Because he knew what the presence of the Lord was like. He knew... What Brother Paul wrote later, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Amen. You know why I preach? Because God called me to. Amen. You know why I don't sit down and stop? I'm afraid of Him. Amen. Doesn't mean I don't love Him. Doesn't mean He doesn't love me. I'm afraid of the Lord. Moses was afraid of the Lord. And he wanted to be sure before he did anything that God was in it. And that's what this was about. And you'll see as I continue reading. He says, If I found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. In the 14th verse, the Lord said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. That word means peace. You know how you know really when something's of God? There's peace. Amen. Now here's what is really in my heart and I want us to hear. And Moses said unto the Lord, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. <laughs> Still not enough. For Moses. He is so concerned about being led by the presence of God that he still says, show me for sure, Lord. 
We often say, quench not the Spirit. And we should. Don't quench the Spirit. But if you're not sure, it's the Spirit and make sure. Moses, one of the patriarchs of faith, understood this. And he taught it to us. He said, show me your glory. In the 19th verse, the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in a cliff of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and you can see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Is that a contradiction of what we read a few minutes earlier, that God talked with Moses face to face as a man talks to his friend? Not at all. There was a familiarity in the conversation that Moses had with God. There was no veil. And we see later when Moses came down from the mountain and had the glory of God upon him in such a way that his face was actually glowing. He put a veil over him so the people could tolerate him because he was too glorious for them. And when he went in to talk to God, he took the veil off. And that is a picture. Moses is a type of Jesus Christ. That is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, still interceding for us with no veil in the way between us and God. He dissolved, he absolved this enmity between God and man, the division, and put it right. One of my favorite scriptures, that God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. Before I read what the Lord told Moses when he said, show me... Your glory. I want to paint a picture of the context of this conversation Moses is having with the Lord. These people have already been delivered by a mighty hand. Mighty, mighty hand. Moses has already gone up into the mountain. God calls him aside and says, Come up and fellowship with me in the mountain. Moses spends six days, and the mountain is thundering and quaking, and there's smoke and and the people can see it all and then after six days the Lord says come up in my presence and then he's up there 40 days and 40 nights listening to God most of us understand the talking part of prayer we understand our part our, our the voice part like tonight when we prayed we talked and when we we're finished we quit but there's a listening part of prayer that I think I'll just speak for myself, I'm not very good at. Moses went into the black darkness of God's presence, and I mean this was the perspective of the people, and he listened to God for 40 days and 40 nights. While he was up there being told by the Lord all the things that God had in his heart for his people, the people were down in the valley. (laughs) After just a few days... They told Aaron, we don't know what happened to this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. We need to make some gods to go before us. And it doesn't appear that Aaron put up any resistance. I don't know if he did or not, but Scripture doesn't record that he even tried to delay it. In fact, he told them, go get your earrings out of your ears, give them all to me, and I'll make you a god. This is happening 
in the congregation of Israel while the man God has appointed to them is up in the mountain in his presence being told the commands, being, having the covenant of God confirmed. And I'm going to ask you a hard, hard, hard question. Are we more like Moses in the mountain or Israel in the valley? So this is going on. One of the things God told Moses, I want us to look at. 31st chapter of Exodus. 13th verse. The Lord spoke unto Moses and said, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths shall you keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who does sanctify you. Six. Or You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever does any work therein, his soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. My message tonight is not about whether we should have a Christian Sabbath or not although it'd be worth considering. But what I want to point out with this is while the people are downstairs getting antsy, getting restless, getting worried that nothing's happening, and by the way, what happened to our leader, he went up into a cloud of fire. You read a little bit later, the scripture says that the people looked up at the mountain and the top of the mountain was on fire. They knew Moses went up there and he hadn't been back in a while and they reasonably concluded he was probably dead. But in that moment, they forgot that God delivered them on eagle's wings. He brought them away from the most powerful army at the time. He gave them food in a place where no food was. He gave them water in a place where there was no water. He gave them clothing that they didn't have to make or buy. That didn't wear out. And their leader's gone a few days and they say, we need some new gods to go before us. While Moses is up there, one of the things God is confirming, I just read, the important thing about it is, God tells Moses to tell the people to take time to listen. That's what a Sabbath is about. It's about turning down the noise, slowing down, unplugging is a term we would use in our culture, and seeing what God says. I'm going to say more about that in, in a moment. This is a perpetual covenant. Every time. Now, I've talked to my grandmother's generation. And I'm going to address you all in a moment as well. But one thing she's told me is when she grew up, there was a clear understanding of what the Sabbath was. And people actually sat around and did nothing on Sunday afternoon. They reflected on the message they heard that morning. They spent time maybe with family. But the point is, they weren't busy. Moses is up in the mountain. A couple more things to to give the foundational 
groundwork of, of this conversation with the Lord. The Lord tells him, Go down from the mountain. These people you brought out of Egypt... It almost sounds like when two parents get frustrated with their kid and they say, go get your son. That's what it sounds like. God says to Moses, go get your people. He tells them what they did. They've made a false idol and they're worshiping it. And Moses starts heading down and Joshua hears the noise and he says, Moses, it sounds like a battle. And Moses says, no, that's not the sound of battle or victory. It's the sound of singing. And he gets down there and the people are having a wild pagan party. Let let me make it real. They're probably running around naked. That's what went on at those kind of parties in those days. They're dancing around a golden calf that their substitute spiritual leader manufactured with his own hands. Moses goes up in the mountain to be in the presence of God. He tells the people, if you have any problems, come talk to Moses. He'll intercede between you while I'm gone. And they bring, uh, talk to Aaron, and they bring to Aaron a, not a problem, but a demand that he should have died trying to prevent from happening. Instead of that, he takes a skill that God has apparently given him. Scripture goes into detail and says that Aaron actually used uh, artificers' tools and, and made this calf. So apparently he knew how to work with metal. God had gifted him in that and he made this thing for them to worship. And then the next day they come out and say, Behold the Lord. That's what Moses came down to. He's been 40 days, more than 40 days, in the presence of God. He comes down the mountain. He has written in stone by the very finger of God, the codified human language testimony of God's perpetual covenant with man. No wonder he throws it down, he's so angry. Could you imagine? This is all leading up to the conversation Moses was having with God that I read at the beginning. Moses throws the tablets down. He stands... In the entrance, most of the people can't hear him because they're too busy partying. And he says, whoever's with me and with the Lord, come to me. All the Levites come to him. He says, every one of you, grab a sword, put it on your waist, go through the crowd and kill your family, your neighbors, and your friends. 3,000 people dead. God's presence is not something to make us feel bubbly inside. God's presence is not something to make us cry. God's presence is not something to make us feel a little happy. God's presence is a consuming fire. Is not my word as fire, says the Lord, and as a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Moses did this. Now here's the part that is so hard for us to understand. He did that to get the attention of the crowd. They were in such chaos that the only way that pagan idol worship would stop is if something terrible like that happened. And when they finally come to their senses and listen, he says to the ones who killed the idol worshipers, God has set you apart and blessed you this day 
Because you have put him before your family, your friends, and your neighbors. So I ask this again. And I'm asking myself this, and it's hard. Am I more like Moses in the mountain in the presence of God, or more like the people in the valley who can't wait 40 days to hear an answer from him? How many times do we build our own gods to lead us through this life? Gods of self-reliance? Oh, we don't call them gods today because we're not in a polytheistic society. But we rely on devices that we invent with our own hands. We talk about being sanctified. We talk about being set apart. All these things. We talk about the presence of the Lord. We see a powerful, scary, terrifying definition of what it means to be set apart. You put God before everything. Everything. Moses gets their attention. The people are restored to their right minds. He tells the leaders, I'm going to go back to the mountain and see if maybe the Lord will forgive your sins. I don't know if he will or not, but I'm going to go try. He goes back to talk to the Lord. The Lord tells him, Leave me alone so my wrath can burn hot and consume these people. I'll start over and make a nation from you, Moses. What I'm not sure we realize today is God could have done that without breaking His promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised Abraham, I'll raise up of your seed. Moses was from the seed of Abraham. God could have wiped out rebellious, stiff-necked Israel and started over with Moses and took a little longer. So what? He exists outside of time. It's not like us. He's not waiting on anything. He existed before time and He'll exist when time is no more. And He could have done that. And Moses, knowing the terror of the Lord, knew that God could do it. That He could literally consume the entire congregation of Israel. Some scholars think they were over a million people. Just wipe them off the face of the earth with the fire of His wrath. Moses begs and implores and says, please don't. And you know how he prays to God? He reminds the Lord of His own glory. He says, these are your people that you've promised. The Lord tells Moses, he he backs off a little, and the word in the King James says that the Lord repented, but he didn't repent like we use the word today. What he did was relent. He backed down from what he was planning to do. He, He backed off of his plan of destruction. And then he told Moses, this is leading up to the conversation. We need to see this. He told Moses, take the people into the land that I've promised, I'll send my angel with you. He said, I can't go with you because I might kill all of you. The Lord told Moses. God gives Moses, the leader of the people, a chance to have all the blessings of God without the presence of God. And Moses says what I read. No, 
Unless your presence goes with us, don't take us anywhere. We don't want to be anywhere that your presence isn't. Brothers and sisters, this is the perpetual covenant that God keeps confirming with His people. It is a covenant of His presence, His mercy, His love. And I'm going to say something, if you don't hear properly, you might be offended. That is the only thing we have to offer the world. Amen. The presence of God. Nothing else we have matters to the world. They want healing for their brokenness. They want forgiveness of sins. They want peace in their turmoil. They want sanity in their insanity. Traditions don't help any of that. Only the presence of God. And when people come among us and His presence is here, they recognize, even if the traditions seem like something from another planet, they recognize that there's something authentic and they can't get it out of their minds. How many people have you known who said, maybe when they started coming around, people who really knew the Lord, they might say it a lot of different ways, but I've heard them say over and over and over, those people had something I didn't. And it was contagious. It it was something they knew they craved. It'd be like if you grew up in a cloudy world your whole life and you knew you'd always been hungry for the sun, but you didn't know what the sun was. And then you go around these people who actually radiate something like the sun and you say, they have what I'm looking for. And then when you finally surrender and give in and let God have His way, you see a sunrise. And you say, maybe they were crazy, but at least they have the real thing. How many times have you heard somebody get up and say something like that? I thought you people were crazy. I hear that all the time. But they're still here. Giving testimonies like that. Why? The presence of God. God offers Moses... Go into the promised land. Have all the benefits without my presence. Moses says, no. We don't want to go anywhere without your presence. I want to read you how he confirmed. When Moses said to him, If I found favor in your sight, show me. Show me your glory. 34th chapter. Moses had already hewed two more tables of stone. He was going up to present himself on the top of the mountain. And in the 34th chapter, 5th verse, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Oh, I love that. Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory. And God comes down in his presence and tells him his name. There is nothing more glorious than the name of God. Jesus confirmed that in Himself. And we see that in the New Testament when we see at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now listen to what He told Him. He proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, 
and long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children under the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth, and worshipped. And he said, If I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it's a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all thy people I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it's a terrible thing that I will do with you. He goes on and tells Moses, you go into these lands, don't intermingle, don't be like them, don't be influenced by them, don't marry their people, don't worship their gods, because you are to be a set-apart people. We're taught that again in the New Testament as a reference back to the Old Testament when it says, come out from among them, touch not the unclean thing, be ye separate, and I will redeem or restore you, says the Lord. The answer to all the questions that we're afraid to ask is Jesus, and particularly His presence. His presence through His Holy Spirit. I felt this pretty strong in my heart all week. It's unconventional, but I'm going to do it. And it will require some participation from you. If, are you all okay doing, having a little exercise? I'm not going to make you do jumping jacks or anything like that. I got one nod. Are more than one of you going to... Two and a half. All I want you to do is stand up. Okay? It'll fit in. If you're of any age in this building, stand up. If you're under 100 years old... Well, I don't know how old anybody... If you're under 150, just stand up. Everybody here. Everybody stay standing except the ones I name. If you are between 65 and 100 or more, please sit down. All of you who are standing, stay standing, but look around. These are the people that have stood, who've brought the truth to us. We owe them everything that we are as missionary Baptists. Just keep standing a few minutes. It won't, it won't hurt you, I hope. Many of you who sat have been faithful when times were impossible. Some of you have been through world wars and other wars. You've been through loss. You've been through economic difficulty. You've seen churches built. Some of you have actually laid bricks in churches with your own hands in church buildings. You've seen splits in congregations and you're still here. And we honor you. And we thank you. Thank you for bringing us the truth. Thank you for passing down the gospel that I could know peace. If you're um, 15 or younger, sit down. 
If you're between 46 and 64, sit down. Look around. The ones who just sat down, the 46 to 64-year-olds, you've been carrying the torch? You've been standing. Thank you. You're not going to be around forever. Some of you are getting tired. Some of you are ready for somebody else to do something. That's okay. It's okay. All of you who are standing, this is my generation, millennials, a few years under, a few years over, keep standing. Keep standing. Not just tonight, I want you to stand right now, but you keep standing. I talked to my mama earlier this week, one of the wisest people I know. And there are, you know, a few people in your life you can just talk freely with. And she's one of the people that I can do that. And I just unloaded on her. And she listened and listened and listened. And she said, You have taken the burden on you of your family, your church, an entire denomination, and all the future for all of it. None of that's your job. Just stand. I emailed Brother Chandler to thank him for his message the other night. And he closed his email by referencing a scripture that says, Having done all, stand. I had that confirmed in another way this week by a brother who's a preacher and a public speaker. And he talked about all that he'd been through in his life. And he talked about finding the most beautiful woman in the world and marrying her and having several kids with her. And then finding out she had cancer and then going and looking at her lifeless body in a casket. And his father, the wisest man he ever knew, coming to him and telling him the most important advice he ever got. Son, just stand. So I want to say to all of you standing... There aren't that many of us. And I want you older ones who have plowed the plow and made the path and stood for the truth and stood for the faith to look around. You know what's in my heart? Where are we going to be in 15 years? And to those of you who are standing, if you're not saved yet, I want you to be. I want you to have peace. But if you are, keep standing. Don't stand for traditions that don't save anybody. Stand for the truth. Stand for the presence of God. Be willing to say to the Lord, I don't want to go anywhere that you're not. If your presence isn't there, I don't want it. Do you realize that's what they did? The old generation, they did that. We're not. We're worried about all these things and what are we going to do and how are we going to... Everything. Listen, listen, listen. It's not your job. Just stand. If you know the Lord, stand. Y'all can sit down. Thank you.
I want to read you something in closing. It's a poem. And it sums up what I'm trying to say with this last part better than any other way I know. This is to all of us, but especially my age group that was standing there at the end. We're the ones who are going to... If we leave, there's not going to be a missionary Baptist. That scares me to death. This isn't a particularly religious poem, but it's a poem of wisdom. And what we need in this generation is men and women who will stand. And that's part of what this is about. You'll recognize it, some of you from English class. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting. Or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good or talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it all on a turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve you long after they are gone, And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you could talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings or lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, which is more... You'll be a man, my son. Something Rudyard Kipling wrote. I don't know if he intended it or not, but there's an awful lot of spiritual truth woven in to that. Just stand. Wait on the Lord. Don't settle for anything other than His presence, no matter what anybody around you is doing. All this stuff around us, all the noise, that's why God confirmed with Moses the Sabbath. And said, you have to take a break and just be silent and listen. And to to us, to, to my age group, my generation, those of you that stood last, we have to be more intentional than ever to unplug from life so we can actually hear not only what we feel like inside, but what the still, small voice of God is speaking. Brother Bob preached a beautiful message this morning about Elijah up in the mountain. And you know the story. He went up there and... Uh, A whirlwind came by, broke all the rocks in pieces, an earthquake, and then a fire. And the Lord was in none of those things. And after all of that, a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard, felt that, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out to listen. Brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord, if you care about the future, I know you do. We have to listen to God. And we have to be willing, no matter what it costs, to stand and wait for His presence. That was how those men were set apart in the time of Moses. They stood. They had to kill some people. 
I doubt God is going to have us kill anybody. I highly doubt it. But that's, that's something he used to show us how serious it is to stand. I'm getting ready to close. Brother Bobby, Daniel, if you want to get a song ready. I realize this is a highly unconventional revival message. Thank God. We can't conjure up revival. We can't convince lost people to be saved so we'll feel better. We need the presence of God. Nothing else. And when He comes, I don't know if some of you remember when you were saved by the Lord, when I was saved, the day He saved me, the service was so spiritual, I could not seek Him. When the presence of God is here and powerful, what did Jesus say? I will draw men unto me. He will. I love y'all. I realize I, I... Got pretty passionate there at the end. Those of you who don't know me, I hope you don't mistake that for anger. I'm not mad. I love you. I'm thankful for you. But I'm afraid that this way is going to be completely gone in 15 years or less. And I don't want that. I want the truth to continue. I want people to be saved. And I want us to be a beacon of the light of the presence of God.